Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is and always has been simple. To encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. Today, I sit down with Dom Sino and Fernando Arias, both hailing from the Northeast of the United States, both competitors uh, and Dom being Fernando's coach. We have a fun double guest episode. We discuss a bunch of things. As you well know, the ongoing situation with the USPA is impacting not only the lifters with USPA, but those in the WRPF, SPF, RPS, USAPL, 100% raw and every other federation that exists. 20,000 lifters have been displaced due to the proceedings of the USPA. In this episode, we discuss a little bit of that, a little bit of what's to be done, as well as what's next for Fernando, what's next for Dom, some training and coaching methodologies, and much more. I do want to preface by saying we were plagued by some poor connectivity issues. So the audio on this one, there are some lags. It's not, uh, there are no awkward silences uh, because of anything on either side other than just a little bit of a connectivity issue. So bear with us. There's good information regardless, but uh, you are going to notice some audio distortion uh, over the course of this episode, uh, which hopefully we'll have resolved here uh, in the coming weeks. With that, I won't hold you any longer. And sit back, relax, and dive. Dom, Fernando, what's going on, guys? How y'all doing? How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, I know you guys up on the East Coast here, uh, highly recommended. Uh, I, I know uh, our, our good friend Nick and the, the Forte Trio uh, are big fans uh, of you guys. Uh, and and so I've, I've been eager to have this conversation. I'm glad I got to get two of y'all on. I love doing episodes with more than one guy because uh, it allows a little bit more of a, of a group conversation. Um, kind of as we jump in here, you know, for those that may not know all that much about you, uh, curious if you could each kind of provide me a little bit of a introduction. Who are you? How did you get involved in, in strength sports in the general? Uh, and I wonder, Dom, if you want to be the first one and for now we'll jump to you next. Sure. So um, just lifting in general, uh, I think I started lifting uh, when I was a kid, teen, kind of just did that uh, school sports instead of, you know, practicing for baseball. You just use that hour, two hours to train in the gym. Same thing in college. And then after uh, after I graduated, I took a position in uh, uh, juvenile rehab. That's what my degree is in and kind of decided it wasn't for me. So just running the mill. Um, I took a, like an in-between job selling gym memberships, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And then one thing led to another. And about 11 years later, I opened my own gym. And then with the, uh, the powerlifting boom, if you will, right now, we kind of decided to take that gym in that direction. And then, you know, the rest is history. We, we love it and we're in it here a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Fernando, what about you, brother? Uh, so when I was like 16, I went to visit my family out in Dominican Republic and my cousins were being into lifting. So we went to this gym, never touched the bar before and they're hitting like two plates, whatever. They're like, what do you want? So I put a plate on and they crushed me. So I just said, started laughing at me and said, oh, you're never going to be as strong as me. I took it personal. So when I came back from vacation, I asked my mom to sign me up for a gym. I got a trainer during that time and. At first, it started off just to prove them wrong, and then I just fell in love with it. And then uh, I wanted to be a bodybuilder, but I hated dieting. So then, like, about two, two and a half years ago, this train out of retro fitness I was going to saw me dead. That's why I was a powerlifter. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then he put me to a direction of powerlifting, and I fell in love with it ever since. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the whole prove them wrong thing is, is a pretty consistent theme. I think for a lot of people, you know, I remember the first time I stepped foot in a, in a gym, you know, I'm 15 years old, 
Uh, I was growing up overseas. I had just stopped playing rugby and, and just wanted to try something new. And, uh, you know, the thing in high school and even in college that anyone who doesn't compete really cares about is bench, right? Like that's like the only thing that anybody really cares about. And of course it was the lift that I was the worst at, like exponentially the worst at. And cool. I remember all these guys are in there, you know, at 6 a.m. Like, hey, let's see what we can bench. And, you know, we're 15. You know, a guy puts up 135 and everybody loses their minds. You know, it's the most exciting thing we've seen in the world. And so like, Moses, 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 like, take 135, like, see what happens. And yeah, just stapled me. Just like absolutely stapled me. And I just remember that moment being like, ah, maybe this isn't the sport that I'm supposed to be in. And who would have thought, yeah, 10 years later, I'd still be here competing, still have a shit bench, still not good at benching, but competing and officiating and, 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 and meeting people. So it, it, it's always nice to hear most people started in the same spot. Everybody had to walk into a gym for the first time and experience what it's like to, to lift a barbell. And it's amazing to watch the trajectories for everyone, you know, of, of what that is. Well, Dom, I'm curious, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned the, you got into juvenile rehab, uh, was the first, uh, you know, educational side for you and, and you didn't run that route. I'm curious, what was the draw initially into that? What was the drive mentally behind wanting to get involved in that? And how did that then transition into you wanting to be doing gym management and, and coaching people here, uh, now in 2023? Yeah, so the the gym story is it's it's kind of crazy. So writing my book choice. So I think human beings, there's there's an arc in everyone's career and everyone's life, and where you are now or where anyone is at the moment can be tracked back to one single decision. So the story of the gym and me kind of stemmed from when I was a kid. I was, uh, grew up in a very small town, no police, no stoplights, the closest Walmart, still 45 minutes away. I was very afraid of driving on highways. Mm. So when I graduated high school, I applied to uh, Mansfield University. It was a college I can get to from my parents' house and I could drive on two lanes the whole way. So I didn't have to worry about that. So that was my decision and now, after that, everything was, it just kind of fell into place. So after that, um, um, went to school for criminal justice only for the reason that my entire family is in the field in some regard, police, correction, lawyer, that's kind of the path. So that was a no brainer for me. Went to college, um, <clears throat> my junior year, I met a girl and we started, dating. she moved down to the area where we are now. So I graduated, job I applied for in my field, you know, entry level job was a position at a juvenile rehab place. So I did that for six months. Uh, and then, you know how the story goes, the relationship didn't work out. So I'm here, I have no idea what to do. Um, so I remember I just applied for gym. It was and I was so broke at the time, it was the minimum wage plus commission. And I was just factoring out, well, if I do this, I would save $40 a month on my gym membership. So I can, I could probably live on $400 a month. Right. So I did that. Um, I went to the interview, I interviewed very well and I got all position and during the first sales meeting, the owner of the gym sat in. We did the whole meeting. My sales manager came out after the meeting and he said, I John and John doesn't want to hire you. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, at the time I had a shaved head and a goatee. Um, he said, well, you have tattoos and you don't smile that much. And I don't think people are going to like you. <laughs> and I said, okay, but I'm already hired as well. He goes, he goes, I own the business. I don't, I don't have to hire anyone. And he said, let me talk to Jim. So Jim came out of the sales office and looked at me. He goes, yeah, how are you? What do you have to say about that? And I looked, and I'll never forget, I looked Jim in the eye because I was so upset. I said, I will go out of my way to do more than that ever has been done before here. Just as 
And my sales manager looked at me and said, I believe you. And he hired me. So I don't know how much um, people know about the gym fitness industry. So 40 memberships per month. So my first month in, my sales manager sent out a uh, commitment sheet. You know, how many are you going to sell? So I was the new guy. The time person that was working at the gym I was at said she was going to sell. Oh, let me back up. He said, we needed to sell 42 memberships for that gym. So the sales rep that was working committed to selling 12. And I'm new. I don't know anything. So I said, it's 12, is 30. So I'll sell 30 memberships. Mm-hmm. And he sent a company-wide email out and said, you know, look at the new guy coming out this. We luck, bud. And I like, I was like, yeah, it was kind of unnecessary. You didn't need to do that. But that first month in, I sold 42 memberships. The second, and I sold 60. The third month in, in August, three. And then everyone's like, what's going on here? Right. So I was naturally that. And it wasn't because I was a salesperson. I personally don't like salespeople, but I think I can relate to people and I can understand people and I can empathize with people. And that's what I did so well in that regard. So I was at that gym for about three years. I got promoted to chief. That gym shut down um, in 2008. They got into financial trouble. I was with them till about 2012. Um, to another gym, same thing. And then they were in some trouble. And I got to a point where I was, I, I said I'd never owned a gym. Um, and I, I was filling out a question uh, test to be a sincerely overqualified security guard at a hospital. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I said, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take every penny I have. And I'm going to open a gym. And that's what we did. And then with the gym, you know, we started more of a commercial facility. Um, we would have opened in 2017 at the time. Powerlifting was, isn't what it was. Uh, um, so I went with, you know, what was going to kind of open the business. And in that time, in the five years we've been here, it has taken off at a rate that I did at all, you know, so we're rolling with the curve in that. And obviously I have a background in it. So we were naturally like, yeah, we can help these people. And you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, there is kind of an anecdote that, that makes me think of, uh, I actually was mentioning this to someone last week, you know, with a name like Moses, uh, it, it's tough on a resume to jump into any kind of industry uh, that that isn't probably in its fundamental basis Christian, right? And so one of my first jobs out of college, I was a security agent uh, or security agent, security officer, security guard, whatever people want to call it. Sounds cooler as an agent, I guess. But I was working at a nightclub and I remember submitting my uh, application. And when I got the call, it was a very brief conversation come in for the interview to give me the job. They didn't tell me until a year later that they called me as a joke, that they weren't anticipating actually giving me a shot because they saw my name was Moses and they saw I'd gone to Liberty University. And they said, well, what, what is a guy like that? You know, why would he belong in a nightclub? And when they had called me, the guy goes, so what interests you in security? And I say, honestly, nothing. And he goes, what? I said, well, I'm 6'2", I'm 280 pounds, and I lift weights competitively. And apparently they had had me on speakerphone in the office, and there were a bunch of people in there, and the security director was like, bring him in, bring him in, bring him in, bring him in. And so they brought me in for the interview, and then when they met me, you know, it all made sense. But there is something there, is something there about proving that you're going to put in the effort beyond what that immediate judgment is, right? Like whether they're like, ah, you know, you have a shaved head and a goatee and tattoos, like this isn't going to work out. Well, no, it is going to work out. I'm going to prove. I'm going to prove to you that it's going to work out. Uh, or, oh man, you weren't good at the gym the first jump. Well, look at me now. I'm one of the best 275s in the world. You know that there's, there's real genuine. There's something to be said about perseverance. You know, in a, in a, in a personal standpoint. So, uh, well, Fernando, I want to pass over to you here. Um, you know, you have, especially here in the last couple of years, really started to demonstrate. Some really significant potential, and you've succeeded at a great amount here in your first few meets in powerlifting. You're still relatively new. You've done just three competitions, if if I'm remembering correctly. You know, for you, what is this 
kind of transition into not just competition, but being on a legitimate stage where people are recognizing your accomplishments, where are you kind of at mentally as you view your trajectory forward, you know, just personally as a competitor, but also as you think about what's next, kind of where I'm curious, where's your head at, uh, especially coming from, yeah, not, not really knowing what you were doing in the gym in the first place. Yeah, I mean, when I signed up for my first meet and then I started doing research on, I was like 265, so I knew I was going to be at 275. I didn't want to cut weight. And I saw that the all-time world record held by Zaheer, 2453, still now. So I put it in my mind that I want to go after him. Somebody else below him was just number one. So just been chipping a little closer to his total and just – Take, take this all-time record that no one's broken in, what, like five years, six years now? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's the only thing that's been on my mind. It's just taking his old record. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. So from kind of a, a day-in and, and day-out standpoint, I mean, people really just see the highlights, right? They see you stepping on and completing a, a big pull or – going in and, and whatever you post on Instagram is just what people on the outside are going to see. What does that look like for you on a day in and day out basis to push for breaking that record? What does it look like for you outside of the gym to ensure that your, your life is set up to prepare you for success? Uh, just making sure I'm eating enough, drinking enough water, making sure I try my best to stay on program. Uh, just making sure that every time I come in, I just uh, do my best, you know, and then I'm doing Ireland, uh, uh, ABS Clash of Titans April 1st in Ireland, and they announced probably like three weeks ago that Zaheer's got invited to the meet. So I had a 870 <clears throat> triple, and after the first rep, it felt tough, but instantly in my head when I went for the second was Zaheer's doing this to me. Like, how bad do you want to prove to yourself that you belong like you, you belong at the top, and uh, you're gonna, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's, uh, nobody knows who I am. You know what I mean? So I want to come in and just like, oh shit! Like, who is this guy? You know, yeah. crazy total. You know, just keep chipping away, and so I can take. Yeah, no, I I hear you. I hear you a hundred percent. So are you are you viewing that? So you said Ireland. I grew up in Ireland. Actually, my parents are are missionaries. So I grew up in in Dublin. Uh, so it, it's always good to hear that there's a powerlifting scene growing there. Are you viewing this as kind of the breakout meet for you? Uh, kind of these last ones have kind of been warm ups, and this is this is the big debut. Yeah, no. This is more. Like- um, like, uh, how do I explain it? Like, m- the breakout meet for me that I plan on hopefully doing what I want to do is the American Pro uh, later on this year. Mm-hmm. Ireland is more like, uh, I'm going to show you that I'm going to be, that I'm the closest one possible to take a whole time with record because no one's got to, like, I think the second best total is 250 in reps or so, or, you know what I mean? It's not even 2300. So I want to show, like, I'm the so, Dom, I'm, I'm curious, as you've worked with clients and kind of over your career here as a coach, you know, what have been some of the things that you have observed, especially newer athletes, uh, the issues or pitfalls that they may run into uh, in their pursuit of alleged greatness, whatever that may look like? What are some of the things that you think people can be avoiding uh, and some of the things people should be pursuing a little bit more? Sure. <clears throat> so I think the main thing is – kind of setting a clear and explicit goal so i think people <clears throat> get into it um for social media pages, right they see people lifting heavy they see people lifting hard they see people smashing their head off barbells and slamming bars and throwing belts and they're like yeah i want to be a part of that <clears throat> but they don't lift as much as these people do so they're not in the view they're looking for the quickest way to status um instead of the obvious solution of working on a long-term goal. They want that instant gratification, myself included. 
you know, starting out early, you know, how do I bench four or five? That was a big number for me, a four or five bench. And I would be this elite, amazing athlete. Um, and I think the big thing there is, is the consistency. I think that's what people are missing. Um, and I think they know because they just aren't prepared to admit to themselves. Um, I think we're all looking for the, the magic pill or the magic cure <clears throat> to get these results. And it's just, um, it's just hard work. Right. Um, I mean, some people are more genetically gifted than others, and that's and that's and you were dealt. But you can certainly work with what you have to optimize your results for yourself. Uh, sticking with that, um, I think a lot of people need to kind of decide for themselves. You know, lead uh, athletes up here, and I can tell you, they they eat food, go to sleep, and they train. What they live, for, and that's why they are as elite as they are. Yeah. That there, there is a semblance of the prioritization just of what life is. You know, if you want to reach a certain point, you have to be willing to allow that to be the priority. You know, for some people, you know, you see every Christmas movie ever, right? There's like the dad who, you know, I have to work on Christmas and then the family gets really upset, but his priority is making money, right? And like, that's what it has to be, you know, for lifters. That's what people will see on Instagram. That's what they're going to see on YouTube. That's, that's what it takes. Um, well, you know, one one of the big things sure. I, I wanted to I wanted to touch on today, and this is kind of I'll kind of field this to both of y'all, um, and not to to anyone in particular. You know, this last week for powerlifting has been a lot. You know, uh, it's it's I, I was having a conversation with Joey Shepard uh, a couple of days ago, and I commented that I think the rise of powerlifting and the fall quote unquote, are due to the exact same thing. And it's pride. I think the reason that powerlifting has succeeded is because there's a pride in the athletes on what they've accomplished. Uh, but the, just like Icarus, as he continued to fly away, uh, and he got a little bit too close to the sun and the wax started melting on those wings, that same pride <clears throat> is also the downfall of a lot. And I think we're observing that a little bit with the USPA um, in what's taking place. Now, I know up in the Northeast, RPS is uh, the primary uh, federation that runs its meets there. So you know, it's separated a little bit, but I'm curious, what have been your perceptions uh, and and what's your, both of y'all's perspective kind of on what's happening, trajectory moving forward. I know Travis Rogers and Jessica just announced they're going to start doing WRPF there in Maryland and Delaware. There's a lot of shifts happening. So I'm curious from a coach's and an athlete's perspective, what, where's y'all's heads at? Where's kind of the Northeast perspective here? You want to go? Or you want me to go first? <laughs> so I think, I think for me and my team, um, federation. So if I'm programming someone, or I'm working with someone. I don't look at RPS record. I don't look at WRPS record. I don't you look at a USPA or a USAPL record. I look at an open powerlifting record. So if we're chasing records, we're chasing time world records, right? Um, and I think that's the where our head's at. So as far as meets, um, I'm loose in the coaching sense that I don't care who or where or why or what federation anyone competes in. I strongly recommend they compete in the federation that's going to make them perform the best. So typically, and I think that's for a lot of people, it's what meet is closest to you, what meet is convenient for you, and what meet is going to stress you out the least you can do your best. Now, whatever function that is, it's still posted on open powerlifting and those are. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Fern, how about you? Kind of for, as a, as an athlete, obviously with, with Don, <laughs> but just in general, uh, does that ring true to you? Do you stand differently at all? Or is that kind of where, where you'd slot yourself as well? Yeah, same same thing. In powerlifting, like I don't look at specific feds. I just look at whoever whoever's number one at that weight class, either raw wraps. That's what I look at. Doesn't matter the fed because I've done WRPF and USPA, <clears throat> and then like I told you earlier, uh, Ireland should do ABS, but it's never affecting my decision. Like, oh, is it is it one that's popular or not? It's just competitions. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I mean, do y'all see? You know, I guess 
I don't know how to phrase it. I mean, the USPA has about 20,000, roughly about 20,000 lifters. Most of which are untested. And so, you know, myself as a USAPL official, we can't accept a lot of those lifters because as soon as they do a competition, they're going to get popped, right? So if, you know, a lot of people leave uh, a federation like the USPA, there's a high chance that those other feds are going to start drawing in athletes and don't necessarily maybe have the same, you know, mainframe that Steve Dennison, you know, has been able to develop with the USPA. Do you, do you, I'm, I'm just curious outside of just y'all's personal, um, you know, journeys, what trajectory do you think you see um, these federations moving into just to, to make up for the fallout of this big of a breach, you know, in the powerlifting world in general? I, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I, it's, I'm in an interesting situation because I look at these questions, the lifter differently than I would look at and answer these questions as a business owner, right? Sure. So as a lifter, uh, my previous answer, which holds true, like you're going to go to the confederation. And I think in that regard, <clears throat> for the success of a federation, that's that's kind of what it takes. You have to you have to weigh the convenience factor. As a business owner, for the longevity of the federation, right, you have to look at outside influences and say, what is going to make the, the lasting federation? And there's a lot of factors that go into that, right? So your your convenience factor is huge, right? Obviously, um, your public perception is huge, right? So what people think of you is is weighing on it as a business. And I think in that regard, you know, everything has to be above board. You know, I think that comes down to the meet directors. I think that comes down to, you know, the people running the federation. And then on that same line, um, you're still running a business. There's expenses to be incurred, right? So how do you offset the expenses? And I think that's the problem we're seeing now as a sport is that you have all these federations in opposition of one another, right? So everyone's trying to grab as many competitors as they can. Why? Because the competitors pay bills. So you have this kind of divide for personal and profit reasons amongst the community, where I think most of us, myself and powerlifting, because we want to be in a community and there's a social environment um, included in that, but you're seeing this divide now, and that's kind of an opposition of why I started powerlifting. So what's the answer? Is there a way everyone can work together? Is it possible? Yeah. Would it be difficult? Extremely. But I think that's where, you know, it's going to come to a point where everyone's going to have to sit down, the, the heads of all these federations, and say, what do we want? Like, are we doing it for business purposes and how much money we have in our pockets? Or are we truly doing it for the And I think that's, that's something time will tell. But I don't think you're going to see longevity of any specific federation if there's competition among all of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're 100% right. You know, one of one of the the themes, at least that I that I've heard in the last whatever fifty or sixty episodes here that I've done, even leading up to this point, is you know what does it look like to unify a sport that's notoriously split? You know, it, it's amazing how complicated we've managed to make something as straightforward as lifting a barbell. Like at its core, it's really not that complicated. And the process of gaining weight and losing weight and probably like it's very straightforward, but as humans do with anything, I think we've managed to create something convoluted because, well, I like a Kabuki deadlift bar. Well, I like an Ohio power bar. Well, I like using kilos. Well, I like using a hundred pound. Like there's always, there's something right. So, I mean, do you, do you see right. it as and even I, a possibility? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think a good <clears throat> a good point to mention on that, and we had we had a discussion about this 
<clears throat> me and the boys a couple of days ago is is powerlifting compared to any other sport, right? So if you, the best in the world are ranked, <clears throat> and there's variable of which they're ranked, whether that be total, whether that be dots. We for these reasons we say these are the best at what we do, right? The problem is <laughs> with different they're ranked the same way with the different equipment. So we're using bars that allow a better wedge, right? So you're pulling from a bit of a, a surplus, or we allow fatter bench pads in certain federations, or some federations you have to walk a squat out, where this federation you don't have to do that, so you're saving energy. And all those still count towards the same goal, right? So imagine a football league where the goal was a couple of feet wider, put it counted for all time field goals, or uh, a ball where the hoop was a, a just two inches bigger, right? But we're still talking about who's the best shooter in the league, but they're they're graded on the same plane, right? So I think with the idea that we unify all this and then we standardize it across the board, I think you would see more efficient results, and I think you would see less strife and chaos inside. I think a lot of people kind of look at that like, how can you take it seriously if there's different judging standards throughout the questions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just, I mean, from my my stance, you know, <laughs> as a judge, obviously I, I judge in the strictest federation that exists. You know, you got to have your feet flat and your singlet can't be touched. So, I mean, the USAPL is as elitist as they possibly can be, you know, with everything that they've created. Um, and so I, I have wondered, and I, I don't know if there is a perfect solution, you know, uh, if there's a standard for, uh, yeah, it, it's tough, much smarter minds than, than probably any of us have tried coming up with, with solutions and have established a number of different feds. So I don't even know if there is a solution where we all finally come to, to terms with, Hey, this is just what it is. You know, because I, I think maybe it was Ed Cohen that I was chatting with a couple of years ago, and we were talking about trying to establish a way for powerlifting to be in the in the Olympics, right? Like that was the big talk: is powerlifting ever be in the in the Olympics? And he always said no, because he feels like there's too many variables in Olympic weightlifting. It was able to make it in because it's just well, just snatch it clean and jerk. Like that's just that's it. You know, but with powerlifting, it's well is the thing that's in the Olympics equivalent to USAPL Sheffield, or is it the equivalency of something like the American Pro? You know, what does it look like for us to become mainstream? Uh, and and I would hate for us to go mainstream for the wrong reasons. You know, if if the USPA refusing to do background checks and hiring a bunch of people that they shouldn't have becomes the perspective on what powerlifting is, well, it pushes us back. So, I mean, do you see a realistic world where powerlifting can actually unify with each other? Or do you think it is just going to have to be the, it is what it is. Uh, and it's just kind of a fringe weird sport, you know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, it's, it's an interesting question you pose. <clears throat> so, in political science, <clears throat> we have this thing that we call the relevance, right? So there's two ways to describe human nature, and we're going to go hunt rabbits. And you can translate this into the question you just asked about powerlifting. Can we work together? So there's two opposing views. There's a rabbit and there's a deer, and we're going hunting. So there's six of us going hunting. And to get the deer to feed the whole village, we have to work together as a team. Or there's a rabbit that one person can get. So to get the deer, we have to work together to surround the deer so we have food for the village. But the problem is there's a conflicting view that some people say every time in that situation, one person will break the circle to get a rabbit to feed himself. Mm. So I think that's a good example of what you're asking. Is it possible? Yeah. For it to be concerned with feeding themselves to look at the bigger picture. And that's human nature. That's <laughs> politics. Hmm. 
Wow, that's a yeah, that's actually a really <laughs> that's a really good analogy. I don't, I'm surprised I, I haven't come across that before. I I think it's a, a you're probably exactly right um, because especially human nature, we want to do what's what's best for us at the core, right? Like we we always pitch this perspective of hey, we're all in it together, but you know if we're really left to our own devices, most of the time we're going for self preservation over anything else, you know. So it's it's yeah. If I had to guess, and it sounds like if you had to guess, no, someone's always going to be jumping off to the side. So it, there is a bit of an unknown as, as it kind of goes to the next few years. Who knows? And, and I could be completely wrong. Like in the next two years, some magical, beautiful moment could take place where some powerlifting Congress develops and whatever. But let's be realistic. Prob- probably not. It's probably just not going to happen. Um well, so, hey, so here's here's kind of on the second half here. Some of the things I'm curious, and, and Fern, I'll kind of jump with you here. I want to hear a little bit from you. You know, what, as as you've trained and as you've learned, what have been, you know, some of the words of wisdom that you've gotten either from your, your coach or from others' mentors in your own life that has pushed you to want to perform at a world-class level you know what has been some of those sports psychology philosophies that have that have sat with you and pushed you to develop beyond just i'm just a dude lifting in the gym like what has been some of the stuff that's really motivated you to become better i mean first time i came into the gym Dom has a sign that says show me something so i just kind of every time strive to show him something he's never seen before as far as wisdom, I, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's more like people doubting. Like when I went for people doubted, I would pull nine because my last me I pulled seven eighty two. They're like, "There's no way you're adding one hundred twenty one pounds to your deadlift alone." So I was like, "My driving force was right, I'm gonna prove you wrong," you know. Yeah, yeah. So is that? And you've mentioned this "prove you wrong" thing a couple times. You know, is, has this really been kind of the driving force for you in a lot of, you know, this self-redemptive, you know, I, I'm going to prove everyone? Like, has that really been the core piece for you that you would say has kind of been your main methodology? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my question for you. And this is this is a tough question. I didn't, I didn't write this down prior to the episode, but I'm curious. Let's say you achieve everything that you've set out. Let's let's say you break the all-time world record, you get there. Well, you've achieved whatever it is that you've wanted to achieve. Let's say you do it here in the next year, a couple of years. Then what? Possibly chasing the sleeves or go up a weight class, go down a weight class. Uh, just stay as, stay as competitive as possible. Yeah. Is there? I, don't, I haven't thought that far. Like, what's next after taking this record or taking this record? You know. Sure, sure. Well, you know, one of the things I wrote down, and I had this conversation with with David Ricks last week, uh, is generally speaking, there's always been this gym mindset that lifters peak in their twenties or thirties, right? Like their strength peak. Uh, is within that open bracket at that 24 to 35. Uh, David has proven, you know, now, of course, he's a, a tested athlete, you know, the IPF, that he's continued, he's broken, what now, 71 records, world records, uh, and he, he's now in his 60s. What does it look like, say, let's fast forward 20 years in the future, Right. Does, do you see, and, and you've kind of answered, you know, that it's not necessarily a forefront in your mind, but I'm curious, when you see yourself in two, three decades, what does it look like, one, for you as a competitor, or the dream, what would it look like for you as a competitor, but two, what does it look like for you as just someone in the community as a whole? Like, what what do you hope to have put back into this community as well as, you know, providing your own strength goals. But what does it look like for you to find your niche and then start creating something? You know, Dom is, is his whole mindset. I've created this gym. I've created a place for people to train. Where do you see yourself slotting into all this and moving forward? Well, after I 
do my own selfish goals mm-hmm. I have to make all these records. Uh, possibly, you know, judge, maybe become a meet director just to give back a little bit. I've spotted and loaded at a couple of minutes. I actually spotted and loaded four weeks prior to the American Pro at Dom's last week, right before the American Pro. So, like, you know, giving back a little bit, spotting, loading, becoming a, a judge, maybe, you know, meet director, you know, stuff like that, just to give back. Right now, I'm just, you know, myself, I'm like locked in. I have the goals I have in mind. I want to take that first and then, you know, then give back. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, so a couple of the things that I think have made this podcast unique has outside of conversations as far as training and mindset and all that has been the personal touch. And I know we chatted about this a little bit, um, you know, before we started recording, but the, the, the talk of, of faith has been something that's been really actually a refreshing conversation. You know, I think for, for a, a lot of people, it can be a little bit taboo, right? Uh, especially, like I said in my first story, guy named Moses, he's got a podcast on faith. What in the world, you know, what, what is he doing, right? But I think one of the things that drew me to powerlifting is the amount of diversity that has allowed powerlifting to grow in the first place. Anyone of any walk of life has found a place because lifting a barbell is just about as straightforward as it is, right? So I'm curious for, for each of you, and there's no right answer here. I'm not looking for any kind of answer. What role, if any, has your own view of faith or religion or spirituality um, or cosmic beauty, whatever it is, played into your mindset as a coach, as an athlete, as a gym owner, uh, or just as a member of this community as a whole? Yeah, so <clears throat> lifting life, um, my driving force. So uh, going back to the college story, one of my, if not my most important mentor, uh, my uncle, he was um, an officer and an eight. He took his own life. Um, I was 18 years old at the time. Like shifted severely at that point. Um And in that regard, I've done everything he would have expected me to do or believe that I could do. And I think that's part of showing him or the universe or a power bigger than me that I appreciate what he did in the time he took for me. And I think that's part of what I'm doing for these guys and helping them, um, whether it be a gym lift or something going on in their personal life. I think that's kind of what shows through the team. Like we're, we're lifters, but we're a team first and foremost. I don't, don't want any of these guys to ever think that they can't come to me with a problem or something I wouldn't help them with. Um, and I think they see that and they respect that. And they know that <clears throat> it's more than about how much they lift, but why they're lifting it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Fern, what about you, brother? Um, well, as far as faith goes, you know, I grew up, my mom was Catholic, my dad was Christian, my grandma was Jehovah Witness, so I kind of got pulled in all sorts of direction when it comes to, like, religion. Um, as I got older, I just don't put myself in one. I kind of believe in God, you know, like God's plan, you know, whatever he wants, whatever has a source is what you got. You know, so like that's kind of what drives me. Besides the whole, you know, proving people wrong, it's kind of like, you know, maybe maybe powerlifting as as a as the, maybe that sounds like maybe one of the things God put me on this earth to do. You know, because uh, to the gym for that purpose, prove my my cousin wrong, and then I wanted to be a bodybuilder, hated dieting, and then you know, a random person came up to me and said, "I'll try powerlifting," and you know, I've been in it since. I kind of feel like everything kind of goes. And like God's plan and like wants for you, you know, what's for you is for you. What's not, it's not, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so the last kind of big question I have, and this has been one of the things that's, I think, been the most enjoyable for me to hear because it's kind of quirky is this question of 
the French toast, right? People have asked me countless times, why is the word French toast in my podcast? And I'm going to level with you guys. I don't even know if I've said this so far on the show. I just needed a third F. I needed something that was going to take it past faith and fitness. I needed a third F. But at the time when I was making the show, I was competing 308s. I was a big boy at the time. I like eating. I still like eating. Once a fat boy, always a fat boy. And breakfast suit especially uh, is, is a big winner for me. Uh, it really doesn't matter what time of day it is. I'm, I'm always down. So my, my question for you guys is this. If you cut out all the supposed nutrition that you're supposed to be following, cut out the macros, cut out the micros, if there's a dream breakfast that holds king over everything else, what is it and why? I'm a pancake guy. Hmm. Pancakes. I actually ate them this morning. <laughs> I just think just pancakes are, are straight not pancakes. A big waffle. French toast are right. Straight pancakes or is it, well, is it syrup, a blueberry? Butter, you know, like. I mean, you you could get creative and put blueberries and chocolate chips and other stuff. But just plain Aunt Jemima pancakes with some some syrup <laughs> is fine with me. I hear that. I hear that. Don, what about you, man? Yeah, so I'm the most boring eater in the world. The only time I eat any real food is um, after I tell you it is <clears throat> the morning after weigh-ins. I will have a tall stack of pancakes. I will have two orders of corned beef hash, six whole eggs, and two sausage patties, not links. Sausage patties, as opposed to what's the logic between patties versus links? So I'm not a fan of like the mushy link where patties like typically it's a little more thorough, crispier. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. I feel like you can. I feel like you can yeah. mess up a sausage link a whole lot easier than you can a sausage patty as well. Like if it's like you undercooked, get, you like Rockies, you're gonna. Never, you never want that. <laughs> yeah, you don't want. <clears throat> oh man, I I I think so. I and and honestly, I don't know if I've actually ever thought about what my answer would be for this either you know but but i think if it's not something i'm making i love cracker barrel like i just i grew up on a sunday after church you go to cracker barrel and there's a line out the door you're waiting 45 minutes to even get in you're having to sit in that little gift shop thing they have in the front there and they got the little rocking chairs the checkers or whatever mm -hmm. you're playing and uh but cracker barrel does that country boy breakfast that's like a sirloin steak uh it's like yeah. eight ounces and they got their scrambled eggs with that they got their candied uh cinnamon apples or whatever like it's a it's a ton of food uh but i remember even at like age 12 i was like this is the one this is the god created me to eat this meal and so every time i make down a cracker barrel that's the one so i get it but the pancakes is a must and i'm glad both y'all said that as much I, anyone that says french toast i feel like Yeah, it's a good yeah. option. And then on the car, I was trying to find the picture on my phone. I can't find it. I went there once, and then the there's like a creepy picture on the wall. It literally gave me nightmares of like an old timely couple. I just, you know what? I can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there is there is a, a a certain semblance of an image. Like when you think of Cracker Row, you think of old people going in and, and having dinner at three p.m. You know, so they can be in bed by five. But it's good yeah. food. <laughs> I can't complain there. No, you're right. Well, so I, la la I like yeah. IHOP better. IHOP, I, so IHOP, I feel like has really gone down in popularity in a couple of years. That's a hot take. I feel like I never, I've never been an IHOP that's been full in the yeah. last few years. Yeah, me neither. But their pancakes are always, they're always good. There's never been a time I've been there. I'm like, I don't like them. They're always good. Yeah, I respect that. The, I remember in college we used to go whenever they did the. Uh, Bottomless pancakes, you know, it'd be like six bucks or whatever. Like it was always like absurdly cheap. And I felt like I'd need to call them before I rolled up with like eight heavyweight yeah. dudes and be like, hey, we're about to eat everything that you have in your restaurant. But <laughs> going in. We're going in. Well, so last thing I got for you guys, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you go, uh, is we, I know we got the meet up in Ireland uh, upcoming. You know, what else is next? What can people expect from both of y'all? Um, what is in the future here for, for Dom and Fern? 
You want to go first? Yeah, I mean, after Ireland, it's off season and back in prep for American Pro. Put something big, nice total up there. And then after that, we'll see. There's a few of us doing it. It's me, Dom's doing it, Nick's doing it. So there's going to be one of us doing it each day. Brad. Yeah. Brad, new team member. So we're going to be rolling deep to the American Pro. Good, good, good. I was literally talking to Hassam uh, a couple weeks ago. He's excited to uh, to MC that again. I know Mike is excited to run it. So there's been a theme, clearly unintentional, that everyone and anyone I've had on this season is going to be at the Pro. So anyone that's listening, this is the uh, it's the meat of the year to watch, no doubt. Well, Don, what, what else? I know you're you're competing as well. Uh, what else is is coming up for you? Yeah, so I think so. This is this is probably gonna be, the pro is probably going to be my last meet. I'm gonna do. I'm shooting for a 2,000 tested total. That would be my lifetime achievement award. And after that, competing as a powerlifter, running a gym, and a couple other businesses, and coaching these guys, just it's a lot to, to handle all the time. So after that, I think we'll take the 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 coaching a little bit more seriously. Like we don't advertise, we don't market. If someone comes to us and says they want to be the best in the world, we vet them. We're going to see if they mean it and then we'll get them on the team, but we'll start doing some active marketing and get that. And then, you know, build the brand from there. It's a good spot to be in, man. Well, I wish you, wish you the best in this upcoming meet. I know I'll, I'll, I'll watch closely and, you know, pull off this lifetime achievement so you can, you can retire the the lifting shoes and the lifting belt, uh, you know, and, and step into, you know, the master Uguay step of, of ensuring that everyone else right. reaches yes. that same level of, of, of success. Um, well, folks, this has been a, a just a great conversation here with, with Dom and, and Fern. You can find both of them on Instagram. You can check the caption uh, here on YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, everywhere else that you could possibly stream a podcast. If you want to get more from me, you can find me at Faith Fitness Podcast as well. But with that, we will see you next week with Travis Rogers.